Hello, everyone. This is Joanne Seiler coming to you from Mind's Eye with this week's People Magazine, the week of January 29th. This week's cover has a picture of Mary J. Blige, and the singer-actress is embracing success. Plus, um, black icons who paved the way for others, Alec Baldwin facing charges for the rust shooting, and what's next for Jennifer Lopez and more. So let's get started with our cover story, Mary J. Blige, All Hail the Queen. The cover photo for Mary J. Blige, uh, she's wearing a, an outfit that's kind of an apricot uh, color. And on the inside, she's wearing a, inside the magazine, she's wearing a white strapless uh, formal gown with long white gloves. Looks very glamorous. This is Black History Month. And um, so there's a lot of that in this particular story. I honor Black History Month by being the best black woman I can be, says Blige. Work hard, give hard, and bless people. The photo was taken in New York City on January 18th. She's ruled hip-hop for more than 30 years, giving fans a soundtrack for their breakups, makeups, despair, and joy. In an exclusive interview, the superstar singer and actress reveals how she's found happiness and peace. Mary J. Blige moves like a monarch. As the queen of hip-hop soul exits an SUV on the way to a people photo shoot in New York City, her electric blue thigh-high boots lead without hesitation, her long blonde hair and bodyguard trail. She enters the photo studio, which is fizzing with activity. Record labels, reps are talking on phones. She's released 15 studio albums and sold more than 100 million of them. While TV executives type away on laptops, the third season of her star series, Power Book 2, Ghost, premieres on March 17th. For Blige, 52, this is just another day at the office. I've been doing this for a minute, she says later with a grin. I'm no rookie. And yet, Blige admits work feels different these days. I can receive all the gifts, she says, referring to six Grammy nominations for her latest album, Good Morning Gorgeous, including Album of the Year. The Billboard Music Icon Award she celebrated last year, her Emmy-winning performance at 2022 Super Bowl, and her pair of Oscar nominations in 2018. She's operating on all cylinders in her prime. Whatever you want to call it, she's there. But here's the important part. She knows it. I can accept all of it with humility and confidence, because I've been working so hard all my life, really, really hard, she says, but I wasn't able to see the good things until I really got my head together and my life together. Raised in Yonkers, New York, Blige released her 1992 debut album, What's the 411, when she was just 21. And she's been laying it all out there ever since. Her struggles with substance abuse and heartbreak and her recovery from both. 
Mary J. Blige is happy, says the star, who's now single and turning yet another corner. Earlier in her career, I didn't care about myself, didn't love myself, she adds. You get what you're giving yourself. Now that I'm giving to myself, I'm getting it all. She's earned her legendary status. As I mentioned, she's had 37 career nominations, six this year, and nine wins, including her first in 1996. She was up for two Academy Awards in 2018, Best Supporting Actress and Best Original Song for Mudbound. Uh, Emmy winner Blythe shows her with Eminem, Dr. Dre, and Snoop Dogg scored an Emmy for her 2022 Super Bowl performance. Last year, Blige became the 11th artist and 7th woman to receive the publication's highest honor. She says, I stopped saying things like I don't deserve it because I have put the work in it. The title track of your latest album is your unique morning routine. Can you explain? When I wake up in the morning, the first time I pass the mirror, I see myself, and then I'm like, good morning, gorgeous. Sometimes my eyes are all closed up and I strain to see myself, but I have to see myself. It's not about vanity. It's about how I've strengthened. No one can love me like me. Is that your form of meditation? It is, because I do it during my prayer time. I was living the song before I wrote the song. I, it was born on my house while I was on my knees praying, while I was trying to get my life together. There's no makeup. It's just me and God. And the beauty of being able to say, I appreciate my life. To look in the mirror and say something to myself that I never used to believe. And there's a photo with her sister and another one with her mother. Do you think you've received proper credit for helping to invent hip-hop soul, a genre that continues with performers like Lizzo and SZA? Being the trailblazer blazer ahead of that whole movement, I honestly can say back then I didn't know what I was doing. I was just making music. I feel like I'm getting the credit I deserve now, but for a while, people were just passing by me. I don't blame anyone. I was passing by myself. What'd you learn from Sean Combs, who executive produced your first film? I was not as ambitious as Puff. When I met him, I was afraid of success, afraid to do anything that could put attention on me. When you come from where I come from, you're scared to be ambitious. You're scared to want more. He was the complete opposite. He was good for me because I needed what he had, to be excited, to be seen, to have the lights on him. It took me years to grow into that. Shaka Khan, whose sweet thing you covered on your first album, was one of your early heroes, right? She says, yes, during the Waiting to Exhale days when I first met her, they both contributed songs to the 1995 film soundtrack. She gave me some of the best advice I've ever gotten. She told me to get out of my own way. I've been using that information to help me not be afraid of things, to move the scared Mary over and push the courageous Mary toward the front. Next month, you return to TV on the Star series, Power Book 2, Ghost. Who has influenced you as an actor? 
I love Viola Davis. I'm a huge fan. And so when they called and asked me to be on her show, How to Get Away with Murder, I was ready. I learned a lot just watching her and watching Angela Bassett when I was in Betty and Corita, a 2013 Lifetime movie. She's uh, a constant in your life has been your sister, Latoya Blige da Costa. She also has two half-siblings from her mother, Cora's later marriage. She refers to her sister as, she's my girl. She was my first best friend. I've learned confidence from her because she's always been more confident than me. Everybody was always more confident than me. And when I need her, she doesn't let her little sister down. I'm learning from her now how to be more. She's been married for a longer time than I was. I'm learning how to be more family-oriented. So I have to learn how to be attached to things because now I'm detached. When you go through terrible things, you have to unlearn certain things. Your younger fans would say they learn a lot from you. What do they ask you? They ask me, how do you stay around this long? I always say, be honest about everything because that's the only way you're going to win. There are so many people in music now. It's oversaturated. With social media, anybody can be a hot artist. Back in the day, it was harder to get signed. I think it's taken a turn because there's so many people on social media that are watching you who are just like you, and we didn't have that luxury back in the day. When did you first realize your music had broken through in a major way? I realized I was a super mega artist. When I was on tour in the early 2000s, we had this big white Texan bus driver. He was always listening to the country station. We were sitting in the front talking, listening to his country music, and all of a sudden, her 2001 number one hit, Family Affair, comes on the radio. I asked the bus driver, did you just change the station? And he was like, no, this is the same one. And I said, get the F dash, 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 out of here. So that's when I realized, okay, something has changed. Mary J. Blige's music is on a country station. How does that connection with listeners make you feel? It's not like I was sitting around going, I'm going to touch a whole bunch of people. I was just writing to save myself. When people responded, it basically said, there's a lot of people going through the same thing you're going through. And with this album, here I am again, using my life to help uplift other people and even uplift myself. I am a black woman. I work hard and give hard and bless people and treat people kind and never forget where we came from. I never forget that we came from hard times. We came from people not letting us have this or do this. We have to give ourselves a break and give the gifts to ourselves. When Mary met Puffy, Blige's weighty mezzo-soprano voice matched with her deft confessional songwriting led her from the housing projects in Yonkers, New York, to a recording studio by the time she was 18 when she was signed to Uptown Records. She was the youngest artist and first female artist at the label. Her 1992 debut, What's the 411, and her 1940, 1994 follow-up, 
My Life were produced largely by Sean Diddy Combs, then known as Puff Daddy. Mary J. Blige is one of the greatest storytellers in R&B history, Combs says. She created a lane for women around the world to speak their truth to power. So nobody deserves this success more than her. Blige says Combs did more than teach her about ambition. He was her biggest cheerleader. Puff was a huge inspiration for me, she recalls. He wanted all of this for me more than I wanted it myself. He still does. Says Combs, more than being my sister and my best friend, she will forever be a pioneer and the queen of hip-hop soul, who remains an unstoppable force that can accomplish anything she sets her mind to. And there's uh, some pictures of the two of them. Uh, He was there when uh, she got her Walk of Fame star unveiled. And using her power for bad and good. Is she a villain or just misunderstood? Blige likes keeping viewers of her Stars drama uh, wondering. On the Stars series Power Book 2 Ghost, season three of the crime drama premieres on March 17th. Blige plays Monet Tejada, a a ruthless drug queenpin who's as fierce about her business as she is about motherhood. This show is a crazy ride, man, she says. Blige was a fan of the original series, Power, and joined the spinoff in 2020, but she is not officially the star, and right now Blige wouldn't have it any other way. It's freeing being part of an ensemble, she says, of the cast, which includes Lorenz Tate and rapper Method Man, an old friend and former musical collaborator. I'm not number one on set. I'm number two or three, but that's fine with me, and they still treat me like I'm number one. I get a lot of words. For Blige, it's Monet's murky anti-hero quality that keeps her interested and invested. What draws me to continue to play her is the excitement of her character. And she's not just a bad guy, she explains. She's a mother and a strong woman. Strong women characters are what I'm drawn to. In honor of Black History Month, uh, they ask some of the today's top stars, which groundbreaking black icon changed your life? They named some VIPs who are still blazing trails. This is called Living Legends, Heart, Soul, and Inspiration. First, Angela Bassett. Bassett in 1993 won Golden Globe and Critics' Choice Awards for her role in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Andra, this is by Andra McDonald, six-time Tony winner. Which one word should I use? Her radiance, her brilliance, her longevity, her positivity, and the fact that she is not only someone who is brilliant with how she works, but she's continuing to give back an uplift and not, as Michelle Obama says, to close the door behind her as she walks through it. She's leaving that door open and not only welcoming, but encouraging and pushing younger talent through and younger girls through and building them up. Denzel Washington. It shows he was the first black performer to win two Oscars for acting. 
This photo was taken in 1987. And this is the man that's talking about him. It's by Jay Ellis, actor, Top Gun Maverick. I think of Glory. I think of his portrayal of Malcolm X. I think of Man on Fire. There's so many things all the way to the equalizer. You see so many different performances and his embodiment of a character and his unwavering resolve to be true to his character and also make an entertaining movie. That's something I absolutely love and I'm grateful to have witnessed. Whoopi Goldberg by Danielle Deadweiler, actress Till. You know Whoopi for her stand-up comedy. You know her from The Color Purple. She can do Jumping Jack Flash. She can do her one-woman Broadway piece. She can do Till. She's the jester and the king, too. Someone who is unbounded. She's an outlaw woman. As long as she has been a part of Till, she plays Alma Carthen, the mother of Deadweiler's character, Mamie Till. She was behind me. There's an image in the movie of Alma putting her hand on Mamie's shoulder. That's who Whoopi has been for me, for everyone. Oprah Winfrey. Big photo of her. She was the first black woman to own a major production company, Harpo Productions. And this is Sherry Shepard speaking of her. Uh, she's the, herself. She's the host of Sherry. Oprah is a pioneering media mogul who paved the way for women, and especially black women, in television. The foundation she set opened the doors so that I and women who look like me could have a daytime talk show. Every time I get to speak to her, it's a master class. I walk away with a notebook full of her gems of wisdom. I am so grateful she answers my calls and challenges me to be greater and intentional about the energy I give my audience. In fact, when Oprah first called me back in 2-9-ish, she said, This is Oprah Winfrey. Gail told me you do a great impression of me. I almost passed out. We had a 40-minute conversation and laughed about everything under the sun. And yes, I did my Lady O impression. She's a once-in-a-lifetime TV icon, an actress, an advocate of literature, a patron of theater and the arts, and the greatest proponent of educating young girls. But more than anything, Oprah Winfrey has been a champion of a better humanity, and I'm blessed to call her a friend. I don't take it for granted. There's a photo of the two of them. Next is Stevie Wonder and Quincy Jones. The 25-time Grammy winner, Wonder, uh, I didn't realize he had won that many. And this is written by John Legend, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony winner. When it comes to music, I think about people like Quincy Jones and Stevie Wonder, people who are a huge influence of mine who I'm also able to count as friends now in my life, which is a kind of pinch-me moment. These are people I looked up to 
cover to over the years and idolized over the years. They are mentors to me, but they're also people who have influenced the way I think about who I want to be in the world and how I want to use my celebrity. And there's a photo of Legend with Stevie Wonder and Quincy Jones taken in 2017. Queen Latifah. In her photo, she's wearing a braided uh, high hat that's uh, yellow and orange and uh, fuchsia and blue, and and uh, I think there might be some green in it. And the, she's also wearing an, uh, some kind of a jacket that's of the same material. And... Grammy winner and Oscar nominee Latifah, this was taken in 1991, was one of the first rappers to successfully transition into acting. This is written by Kiki Palmer, actress in the movie Nope. That's N-O-P-E. She has made such a personal impact on my life. Knowing her and her encouraging me throughout my career, that has been something I have taken throughout my life. Queen Latifah inspired me by talking about her work ethic. She always has said, that's the difference. You work for it. You stay consistent and you give everything you have in everything you do. Sometimes in acting, you can get wrapped up in what's trending or how to stay on top or be popular. And it's really not about any of those things. To be an actor, to be an artist, is to do the work. And I think that has always kept me on track. Next is Alicia Keys. Shows a photo of her in 2002. She's won 15 Grammys and sold more than 65 million albums worldwide. And the person writing about her is her. She's a Grammy and Oscar-winning singer-songwriter, and she goes by that. It's a capital H, period, E, period, and an R, period. She is one of the most inspiring for me because of her musicianship and her bravery, as far as her truths and just being who she is. And growing up, I didn't see any other black women playing piano and singing, and that was a big deal for me. So yeah, she inspires me even still to this day. To perform with her was a dream come true. It's crazy to me because I was singing her songs when I was a little girl. Next is George C. Wolf. Tony winner Wolf shows him in 1992, directed Domingo in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And this uh, it is written by Coleman Domingo, Emmy winner for Euphoria. George C. Wolf is a living archive. He's a cultural commentator when it comes to his work as a playwright, a director for stage and film, and a producer. He curated the National Center for Civic and Human Rights in Atlanta. It was so elegantly, beautifully, voraciously done that by the time I finished the exhibit, I was in a puddle of tears. He leads with his intelligence. He is like a brother to me in this industry, and I know that I'm truly standing on his broad shoulders. Next is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar 
and Barack Obama. It shows President Obama presenting Abdul-Jabbar with the Presidential Medal of Freeman, Freedom, excuse me, Freedom, in 2016. And this is written by Magic Johnson, NBA icon. I'm going to start with my Los Angeles Laker teammate, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and the things he's done to change the world to change sports and to change life for minorities. In addition to his NBA accomplishments, he's written several books on black history and served as an official U.S. cultural ambassador. And President Barack Obama, with his community outreach program, My Brother's Keeper, which is making sure that men of color are getting a math and science education and making sure they know how to read and write before the third grade. Because if you don't get them before the third grade, they're in trouble. There are so many people who have touched me and who are helping those who are poor. That's what it's all about. And there's a photo of him with Abdul-Jabbar in 1988. Before I continue with this next person and the the uh, tribute to them, uh, we're at the halfway point of the hour. And if you just tuned in, you're listening to Joanne Seiler with this week's People magazine. And we're in the celebrating uh, Black History this month. So People magazine has done this where uh, I've been reading about it. And it's famous people, famous black people, entertainers, sports people, etc., who are writing tributes to other black people who have are giants in their particular um, industry. This next one is about Harry Belafonte, singer, actor, and civil rights activist shows a photo of him in 1955, spent 31 weeks at number one with his 1956 album Calypso by Cheryl Lee Ralph, Emmy winner, and she's on Abbott Elementary. She says, he is still here, still alive, still making a difference, still using his words, his mind, his spirit, his past, his whole essence to continue to encourage young people while leaving a legacy for those who are not born yet. So I say, thank you, Harry Belafonte, and he's my daughter's godfather, so we love him. The next person they're showing is, uh, well, a photo of Belafonte with Cheryl Ralph in 2005. The next one we're covering is Ben Vereen. Vereen won a Tony in 1973 for his performance in Pippin. And Michael Boatman, the actor in The Good Fight, is writing about him. He was the original lead in the 1972 Broadway musical Pippin, the first production of Pippin I ever saw. That play, that show, made me want to be an actor. I never got to tell him when he guest starred on The Good Fight, just like I didn't get to tell The Good Fight guest star, Louis Gossett Jr., what he meant to me. But there are people who walk into a room, 
There are certain actors who walk onto a set and everyone just applauds. And those gentlemen fit that bill. This next article is a sad thing that's going on in the United States, unfortunately. This one is about the mass shooting in L.A. Dance Studio. Celebration turns deadly, and it shows some people kneeling in the street, praying. A gunman opens fire on revelers, ringing in the Lunar New Year in a California suburb. Now, 11 people are dead, and a stunned community is grieving. You can't feel safe anywhere, says a local resident at the scene on January 21st. Show it's a uh, photo, color photo, showing uh, all the firemen and police that are there. More than 60 people arrived at the Star Ballroom Dance Studio in the Los Angeles suburb of Monterey Park on January 21st, ready to celebrate the Lunar New Year, the Year of the Rabbit, with a night of ballroom dancing. But at 10.22 p.m., the merriment ceased. We heard boom, boom, boom. Like firecrackers, says Shally, whose last name is withheld at her request. The booms grew louder, and she saw a man holding a gun spraying the room with bullets. Everyone panicked, says Shally, who hid under a table with her dance partner, praying to survive. I looked down, and my hand was covered in blood. When the shooting stopped, Shelley was alive but the blood covering her hand belonged to her partner, who lay motionless on the floor. She is declining to identify him until authorities name all the victims. The attack is among the deadliest mass shootings in California history. Eleven people are dead and at least nine others wounded. At press time, the L.A. County Medical Examiner Coroner has identified four victims. My... Nahan, 65, Leland Lai, 63, Zanyu Yu, 57, and Valentino Alvaro, 68. The death toll might have been higher had it not been for the quick thinking of Brandon Say, 26, who encountered the gunman inside the Lele Ballroom and Studio in Alhambra, California, some 20 minutes after the shooting of the, at the Star Dance Studio. Say, whose family owns the facility, disarmed the gunman, who was seen on surveillance video fleeing in a white van. Authorities found the suspect later identified as Hu Can Tron, 72, a former patron of the Star Dance Studio, who had been arrested for illegal gun possession in 1990 in a strip mall parking lot in Torrance, California, the following day. Tran died from a self-inflicted gunshot when police approached the van. Authorities confirmed there are no other suspects. As to trans positive possible motive, police say they are still investigating. We want to know how something this awful can happen, L.A. County Sheriff Robert Luna said at a January 22nd press conference. We need to know why. Initially, officials feared the killings were hate crimes against the primarily Asian-American Monterey Park community. 
Since the suspect has been identified, however, several members of the area's large WeChat ballroom dance group have said that the gunman was a spurned lover seeking revenge when a woman attended the Lunar New Year dance party without him. And it shows some of the people that were killed. In a statement, Mine Nahan 65, in a statement her family called her a loving aunt, sister, daughter, and friend. She was our biggest cheerleader. Officials also revealed the names of victims Lillian Lansley, 63, Zanya U57 and Valentino Alvera 68. At press time, no other victims' photos were made available. Seven victims remain unnamed. Friends and instructors at Star Dance Studios say they believe Ming Wei Ma, an employee and beloved ballroom dancer who was near the door when the gunman entered and was reportedly shot trying to stop him, is among the dead. He was just joy, says friend Christina Hayes, who hosted tango evenings at the studio. You couldn't walk by him without smiling. The celebration, which drew more than 10,000 people for the annual Lunar New Year Street Fair, is now marred with sorrow. This is the largest family-oriented celebration of the year when we're looking forward with hope and expectations, Monterey Park City Council member Thomas Wong says. To start the year this way is disheartening and just shocking. Three days later, the shock was felt again in California with a second mass shooting in San Mateo County that claimed the lives of seven others. At press time, authorities had apprehended suspect Chung Lee, Zhao, 67, but had not named victims, tweeted Governor Gavin Newsom, tragedy upon tragedy. And it shows some photos of of uh, the suspect's white van and that he committed suicide, they're saying. Um, the county, L.A. County Sheriff Robert Luna warned the community the suspect was at large, armed, and dangerous. And authorities say that after shooting more than a dozen victims at the Star Dance, video, uh, Dance Studio, the gunman arrived at the Lilai ball, Ballroom, where facility operator Brandon Say shows him in the surveillance footage, disarmed the suspect before he could open fire. This looks like a happier story. His teachers became his mom and dad, a family for Nate. And it shows two uh, a white gentlemen and a white lady, and they're holding their little baby, and I think that's Nate in front. Deciding to adopt Nate was a no-brainer, says Jenna, Tim, and daughter Julian in October 2022. Nate is a little black boy. When a hospitalized student needed care, educators Jenna and Tim Riccio stepped in and found their greatest gift. Of the hundreds of students at Walsh Elementary School in Waterbury, Connecticut, seven-year-old Nate Innocent made the biggest impression on Jenna Davino Riccio, his reading teacher. He has this unique light that just uplifts everyone around him, she says. He's the most impressive kid you'll ever meet. 
Her boyfriend, art teacher Tim Riccio, saw the same sparkle from Nate in his class, even though sickle cell anemia complications had led to the amputation of Nate's legs below the knees, his left arm, and two and a half fingers on his right hand. He is so outgoing and so resilient, Tim says. He finds a way to do whatever he puts his mind to. In September 2019, Jenna discovered Nate had been admitted to the hospital for emergency surgery to prevent an infection in his arm. So she went to visit the boy, who always brightened her class. He was there by himself with no family, she says. I wanted to cheer him up and have someone he knew there with him. Jenna soon found out that little Nate needed the support more than ever. Ten days earlier, state officials had removed him from his family's home. Nate's doctors were worried about him missing appointments and not getting the medical care he needed, says Jenna, 37. Upon discharge, Nate was to be sent to a foster home an hour away from the school that had become his happy place. It wasn't the ideal situation for him, Jenna recalls. I worried about what was going to happen to him. While Jenna and Nate spent time in the hospital playroom, Nate beaming and giggling as he pretended to cook little plastic food, his fate weighed on her. Then she had a life-changing epiphany. Would I be able to take him, she quietly asked a Department of Children and Families caseworker. The answer, it was a possibility. The minute she got in her car, she reached out to another DCF caseworker and ran the idea <clears throat> Excuse me. by Tim, 38. His surprise quickly turned to excitement at the prospect of parenting the boy, whose infectious charm always made him smile. Says Tim, I wanted to be a part of it. Jenna immediately began interviews, background checks, and home visits to get approved as a foster parent. On October 3, 2019, when Nate left the hospital, he moved in with Jenna and her dachshund, Francis. Tim later sold his house and joined them. Jenna's house was best because it's a single floor and close to school, says Tim. Although Nate has since been a member of the family for three years, serving as ring bearer at Jenna and Tim's wedding in 2021 and becoming a big brother last February when Jenna gave birth to daughter Julian, it wasn't until November 18th that he officially became the Riccio's son. This day was amazing, Nate exclaimed at Waterbury Juvenile Court on his adoption day, making sure to state his new name, Nathaniel Innocent Riccio. Nate's biological brother, Giovanni Mondestin, 22, with whom the Riccios remained close, was there for support. We always tell Nate, I know you learned how to be a good big brother from your big brother, says Jenna, who marvels at Nate's closeness with baby sister Julian, now one. She's obsessed with him and lights up when she hears his voice. Besides saying yes to marrying Tim, adopting Nate was the best decision I ever made, says Jenna. He taught me how to be a mom. For Nate, having his former teachers as parents has changed everything. They take care of me in every way, the best way possible, the way that my parents weren't able to, he says. 
Once a wheelchair user, Nate now walks on prosthetic legs. He regularly sees a cadre of medical specialists and will need more surgeries on his amputations as his bones grow through his skin. His sickle cell crisis, which included gastrointestinal issues and a compromised liver and often landed him in the R, have gotten so much better, says Jenna. With more time to be a kid and pursue his interests, Nate, now 10, attends an acting workshop. He played a zombie in his first production and hopes to someday grace the big screen. Every night I go to sleep thinking, I'm very lucky, he says. But if you ask Jenna and Tim, they're the lucky ones. I'm happy that I never have to imagine life without Kate, says Jenna. Our family is complete because of him. And it shows a photo of him. Uh, If our story inspires others to foster kids who need a family, says Jenna, uh, that would be amazing. (laughs) It shows him dressed as Ant-Man in the hospital. And then there's a photo of uh, the family with his older brother, Giovanni, at his adoption hearing in November. And uh, she says, Jenna, Nate's a special human being. He's little guys wearing a white shirt and a tie and has a heart with a bow pinned through his lapel. And Clearly, he's lost his arm up above his elbow, and the suit sleeve has been adjusted for that amputated arm, so he looks very nice all dressed up, and uh, I can see. And then there's a photo of him with their dogs, Tally and Francis. Nate wakes up with a smile on his face, says Tim. He just... He's just always ready for every day to be a good day. And in this photo, it shows him uh, with his two artificial legs. And then shows a photo of him holding his little sister, Julian. Doting siblings. He's the best big brother, Jenna says of Nate. Uh, He's amazing with her. It shows him holding her, cuddling with her. I don't know if you heard about this. You probably did. It's called The Rust Shooting. That Rust is the name of a movie that they were shooting when that um, cinematographer, I think she was, was killed and Alec Baldwin shot the gun. Alec Baldwin faces his future. Baldwin left his New York City apartment on January 10th, the day after charges were announced. He's upset, according to a family source. The actor, devastated by involuntary manslaughter charges, leans on his family and prepares to fight in court. Ever since the accidental shooting death of cinematographer Haley Hutchins on the New Mexico set of Rust in October 2021, star and producer Alec Baldwin has maintained that the tragedy was not his fault, though he held the Colt 45 at the time it went off, killing the 42-year-old mother and injuring director Joel Souza during a rehearsal. Baldwin has said he did not know the gun mistakenly contained a live bullet. In addition to that, I didn't pull the trigger, he told ABC News that December. The whole ordeal he added in the same interview doesn't seem real. 
The Emmy-winning actor got a shocking reality check on January 19th. That morning, Santa Fe County District Attorney Mary Carmack Altwis and Special Prosecutor Andre Reeb announced their intention to charge Baldwin 64 and the movie's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, 25, with two counts each of involuntary manslaughter after finding sufficient evidence of wrongdoing. At press time, the charges had yet to be filed, but they will be by the end of January, according to the DA. Each charge is punishable by up to 18 months in jail, but because a firearm was involved, both defendants may face an added mandatory five-year sentence. Assistant Director David Hall signed a plea agreement for a misdemeanor charge of negligent use of a deadly weapon. On my watch, no one is above the law and everyone deserves justice, says Carmack Altwees. The prosecutor's decision was polarizing. It received support from Hutchins' family, who called the news a comfort in a statement. It gutted both Baldwin and his wife, Hilaria, 39, mother of their seven children. He's also dad to model Ireland, 27, with ex-wife Kim Bassinger. The couple are devastated, according to an insider. They were prepared for all outcomes, but nothing can quite prepare you for this. And it shows photos of uh, of the uh, family, the people that were involved in this. The family uh, of Hutchins said in a statement they will fully cooperate with this prosecution. Her husband, Matthew, is raising their 10-year-old son. And it left some in the legal community puzzled by what one lawyer called an aggressive move. I don't think this case would have been prosecuted if the defendant wasn't named Alec Baldwin, says Nima Romani, a former federal prosecutor and president of West Coast Trial Lawyers. I would not have prosecuted it. They're trying to throw the book at Baldwin and make an example out of him. Baldwin, for his part, is gearing up for a legal battle. Alec will fight it, the insider says of the charges, which Baldwin's attorney, Luke Nikas, slammed in a January 19th statement as a terrible miscarriage of justice, adding that he relied on the professionals with whom he worked, who assured him the gun did not have live rounds. Concluded Nikas, we will win. It may not be so simple. Several crew members have alleged that safety protocols weren't properly followed on set, while Gutierrez Reed has said that she had no idea how a live round was placed in the gun instead of dummy ammunition. The investigation found that the Halls had said the gun was cold or that Halls had said the gun was cold with no live bullets beforehand. It to Baldwin. But as for Baldwin's claim that he never pulled the trigger, an FBI forensic report obtained by ABC News alleges the gun, when intact and functional, could not be made to fire without a pull of the trigger unless the hammer was decocked on a loaded chamber. Baldwin, who said in an August interview that stress from the ordeal is taking years off his life, seemed to be in a better place in recent months. In October, he and the film's other producers settled a wrongful death lawsuit with Hutchins' widower, Matthew, who, as part of the settlement, 
became a producer on Rust himself. The movie, which suspended production in the wake of Hutchins' death, was set to resume shooting early this year. A source says it will still move forward. And the day before the charges were announced, Baldwin was in a great mood after dropping some of his kids off at their New York City school, according to a witness. He was talking about his family's recent ski trip. Now he's relying on his loved ones to keep him positive amid this crisis. He and Hilaria are really leaning on each other, says the insider, and trying to keep their focus on the kids. He is very emotional and stressed out. Will he go to jail? Alec Baldwin and Rust Armour, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, both faced two charges, involuntary manslaughter and involuntary manslaughter in the commission of a lawful act. A jury will decide if they are guilty, and if so, under which definition of involuntary manslaughter. For the first charge, the state needs to prove that Baldwin and Gutierrez-Reed acted negligently, while for the second charge, the state needs to prove a different level of negligence, criminal negligence, says Emily D. Baker, a former L.A. deputy district attorney. The second charge also includes a firearm enhancement that carries a mandatory five-year sentence. For this charge, prosecutors must show that the defendant acted recklessly with the gun, according to former federal prosecutor Niema Romani, who cites the example of Russian roulette. I think he has a strong defense case and he may be acquitted, but if he is convicted, I do expect a judge to sentence him to prison time, says Romani. There's a tribute to David Crosby. Uh, he was born in 1941 and passed away 2023. Rock's soulful troubadour. In the photo, he's wearing a knitted hat. He has long white hair, white in his eyebrows. There's still some black hair in his eyebrows, and he's got a white, very white uh, mustache. The musician, founding member of two of the most influential bands of the 60s, rejected rock rules and lived to tell the tale. David Crosby knew what it meant to have a second lease on life. The singer-songwriter whose sparkling harmonies alongside bandmates Stephen Sills, Graham Nash, and Neil Young cemented his place as a rock and roll legend, had seen high highs tarnished by low lows. Yet he was the first to recognize his luck. Having almost lost music, I treasured it more, he told People in 2019, of surviving addiction and serious health issues. When I didn't die and I didn't end, I got a new chance. When Crosby died at age 81 on January 18th, after an undisclosed illness, loved ones remembered his enduring spirit. His humanity and kind soul will continue to guide and inspire us. Jan Dance, his wife of 36 years, said in a statement a day later. His former bandmates with whom he had overcome years of turmoil remained on his side after his death. David's voice and energy were at the heart of our band, says Young, while Stills called him the glue that held us together. Nash, with whom Crosby recorded four albums as a duo, wrote that he was grateful to have sung with him 
played with him, and butted heads with him. Born in Los Angeles to a cinematographer and a saleswoman, Crosby found fame in 1964 with The Birds and later with Stills and Nash, a trio born from an impromptu jam session at either Joni Mitchell or Mama Cass Elliott's house, depending on whom you ask. Young soon joined the fold, and though their album Deja Vu hit number one, the band's perfect harmonies weren't quite in sync in real life. We made incredible music, but we were a fully competitive band all the time, Crosby once said. Their ups and downs were amplified by Crosby's drug addiction. A 1985 stint in jail on drug charges forced him to turn his life around. I love performing. It's what I was born to do. Crosby, who played his first sober performance in 20 years, a few days after his release, told People, For three hours a night, I'm the happiest guy in the world. Offstage, Crosby found further fulfillment as a father. In 1995, he and Jan welcomed their only son, Django, 27. He was also dad to two older daughters, Erica and Donovan, son James, 60, and was a sperm donor for his friend, singer Melissa Etheridge, and her then-partner, Julie Cipher. James was placed for adoption as an infant, but father and son later reunited and formed the band CPR together. I'm fond of saying that I thought I had a Ph.D. in fun, but I didn't know what real fun was until my kid said daddy, he wrote in his 2006 memoir. Truthfully, raising a child can be the most fun thing on the planet. It shows a photo of the family. We were following our hearts, and our hearts told us that these were good people. Crosby wrote in his 2006 memoir of his decision to donate his sperm to pal Melissa Etheridge and her ex-partner, Julie Cipher. In the photo, it shows his wife, Jan, Etheridge with daughter Bailey, now 25, Cipher with son Beckett, who died in 2020 at age 21, and Cosby in, 20, in 2000. In, in this photo, they're all sitting there, and Crosby is wearing a black suit and a white, long-sleeve white shirt, but he's barefooted, and there's flower petals around, and they just it's just an interesting time. I'm for just a couple things from Scoop. Uh, show Cher as a white... Um, blonde, and Alexander A.E. Andrews. On January 19th, the music icon 76 and the music executive 36 held hands while out for dinner at Hotspot Avra in Beverly Hills. Cher confirmed their romance in November. Emma Roberts and Cody John, the Maybe I Do actress 31 and in the dark actor 33, who were first linked last August, shared a kiss on January 18th while strolling through New York City. Roberts split with actor Garrett Hudlin last January. They co-parent son Rhodes, too. And let's see. Selena Gomez and Drew Taggart. Two days after Gomez, 30, posted the hashtag 
Hashtag I am single. She and Chainsmokers DJ Singer 33 sparked romance buzz when they held hands after dinner at Teresi in New York City on January 21st. Jeremy Renner heads home after his accident, which is a good thing. He had um, blunt chest wounds. He went under uh, underwent surgery for blunt chest wounds, chest trauma, and orthopedic injuries the day after the incident. He had a terrifying snowplow accident, landed him in the ICU on New Year's Day, and uh, those 30-plus broken bones will mend, grow stronger. Uh, he was pretty, you know, hurt very badly. Uh, he's crushing all the progress goals, his sister told people. We're out of time. I hope you enjoyed this week's People magazine. You've been listening to Joanne Seiler coming to you from Mind's Eye, and I hope you'll join me again next week. Thanks for listening, and take care. Uh, we will be back with you next week.